Now, first of all, uh, James, uh, many of you are familiar with him already. He's, he's been speaking here a couple of times in the last six months. You've been introduced to him. He shared parts of his story at different times, and he'll share a little bit more of his story as well today. Uh, James and I have known each other for over 25 years. We connected in Bible school many, many years ago, and it's been really fun to reconnect with him now that uh, God brought him and Trish and their family here to Saskatoon a number of years ago, and uh, just getting him connected uh, in a variety of ways, such as today, where we get to to do things like uh, this. So one of the things that you'll realize as we go through this text today, as James and I both kind of go back and forth on it, is that we're different. Uh, We have different gifts, and that's uh, very much intentional. But the different gifts are really critical for the community, for the body of Christ, for the building up of the church into maturity, which we're going to see here uh, in in just a minute. Now, similar to Hakan, uh, James is also an ape. Um, I say that affectionately. Uh, He is more prophet, apostle, evangelist. And I'm a bit of a weird combination of more of apostle and then shepherd teacher. That's more uh, my gifting. We're going to unpack those things a little bit more, but we'll just sort of declare that up front and then we'll kind of live out of that uh, as we go forward. So James, I've asked James, he's just going to walk us through the text here today. And while he does that, what I want you to pay attention particularly to is what's the purpose of these gifts as Paul's teaching? What, What are they for? Listen for that as James walks us through this text. Thanks, Bruce. A number of uh, months, or sorry, a number of weeks ago, Spencer um, preached from the first six verses of chapter four, talking about our, our oneness um, in Christ as a church. And Bruce and I thought, you know, we're going to start again with these six verses, because the the passage we're looking at, chapters or verses four, or sorry, verses seven to sixteen are again about diversity. So we want you to see again and just catch the diversity within the oneness or the unity within the body. And so we're going to start with the first six and then we'll move into into our verses. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And there's one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there you have our oneness. It's like seven, the seven pillars of our unity in Christ Jesus. And now we move into the diversity, again, within the family, this rich diversity of giftings. But to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Or as the New Living Translation says, each one was given a special gift according to the generosity of Jesus. And that is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is also the one who ascended to the highest heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And it was he who gave some 
to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And here's why. To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. But instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, and that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So now what we'd like to do is to have each of us will kind of highlight some things from this text and unpack it just a little bit more. So you see in this text that it's about equipping. It says how the reason that these gifts are given is to equip the church, to build up the body, to help the church grow in maturity, that the body of Christ will be built up in the unity of faith, that the body of Christ will be built up in the knowledge of who Jesus is and become mature. And then there's this wonderful phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I wonder, what, what, what does that exactly mean? Whatever it is, it's wonderful. It sounds so good that the church is called to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ through the expression of these gifts and people doing their part. So each person has received grace to serve and build up Christ's body, the church. It's not about a hierarchy of gifts or that these gifts are more important than other gifts, but that there is a unique function for each of them that need to be played out in the church by God's grace through His Holy Spirit. You know, in North America, for a long time now, it seems like the predominant gifts that have been there in the leadership of the church has been pastors and teachers. And what I see happening globally and even in North America now as well is that God is calling up and calling out apostles and prophets and evangelists to lead the church. In many ways, it's a new era. There's a shift that is happening. We, we need to be led by those in these ways more uniquely in these times of massive change. And so these gifts are for the church to grow up in maturity and in order to be the church in our witness and in effectiveness. Now you know, likely, that there are other gift lists as well too. Here's a list in Ephesians 4. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, you'll see a few other gifts mentioned. If you go to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see other gifts lists mentioned and some context to, that is unique to each of those. But, but in each of these gifts, and they're, they're not an exhaustive list, any one of them, or even if you compile them all together, they just give a sampling of the beautiful picture of the grace of God that he has given to the church, of these expressions of Christ that are given to the church to build up the body. But these in Ephesians seem to have a unique role. There's this unique role of releasing the other gifts, and allowing the church to fully be the church, helping the body be the body. So in a few minutes, we'll talk a little bit more about how we might discern what gifts we have. But before I, I do that, I want to just say something first of all. As important as it is to discern 
your gifts, my gifts, our gifts. And, and it is important. We need to press into that in, in different ways. But I've become increasingly convinced that just as important as that is to also discern the gifts that you don't have. And here's why. Because that's when the body actually needs each other. Because it's when we actually understand the gifts that we don't have. When I understand the gifts that I don't have, then I need other people around me who have gifts that supplement and complement my gifts in a very distinct way. And so it's important to not only understand the gifts that you do have that God has given you, the unique grace that God has given you, but also to be honest in your assessment of the gifts that you don't have. Because that's when the body is this beautiful picture of everybody bringing what they have to the table and offering it up to the Lord. And we get growing in maturity through this diverse expression of gifts. You know, I've experienced as being a lead pastor for many years now, uh, where sometimes people, they don't say it explicitly, but it comes out in expectations where the sort of the expectation is, well, the lead pastor must have all the gifts. And again, nobody says that, but, but when people sort of expect you to do certain things and everything and this thing and that thing, and then suddenly they realize, okay, Bruce actually isn't that good at that. And I go, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, I'm glad you caught on to that, because I don't have all the gifts. And we we need to take a look at ourselves honestly, and I want to have you look at Romans 12, verse 3, and this is a a verse that I've always loved and grabbed onto. Right before Paul in Romans articulates that list of gifts, he says something really important. And it's right after the early verses in Romans that you might be familiar with where he says, you need to live as a living sacrifice, laying your bodies before God on the altar. And then he goes into the gifts list, but in between there, he says this. He says, you need to take an honest assessment of yourselves. He says it this way, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Then he goes on to say, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, So it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. But his point is, don't think that you are better than you are, but also don't think that you are lower than you are. Take an honest assessment of yourself. Be truthful. And in this verse in Ephesians, he says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love to yourself and others about the gifts that you have been given and the gifts that you actually don't have. Because then we can be the body. Because we need each other. So not only do you not have all the gifts, sorry about that, but let me say one other thing. Nobody is fully one gift exclusively. I think we're all this combination of different gifts that are part of us, and they're fluid within us, and it's sometimes hard to differentiate, but we're this unique combination of different gifts that we see in Scripture, and we have to figure out, well, which ones are sort of dominant in our lives, and they blend together. And they have some unique components that we have to figure out, which one is it that's dominant in our lives? One analogy that I use, and I, I don't know if this is helpful or not, Scott Berg, you can help me with this, but I think of pharmacists with drugs. And my understanding is that, you know, when drugs interact, you have to pay attention to how they interact with each other. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Thank you. Um, so drugs interact in different ways, and maybe in a similar way, my analogy, my metaphor was, it's, it's sort of like these gifts. You, you, you take this gift, like an apostle gift, and you put it together with a shepherd gift. Boy, you get a weird combination out of that. Like if something unique happens. Or take any of these gifts, and you kind of blend them together, and something unique happens as they kind of merge together. But that's the beauty of the body. And so I said uh, earlier, I'm an, uh, I'm an apostle, teacher, shepherd 
That's sort of my dominant giftings in a unique, weird combination. I know that because these gifts have been affirmed many times uh, by other people in me. I know that just in terms of my own wiring and, and who I am. I did do a gifts inventory and on the e-bulletin, or if you do the study questions, I've given some uh, direction to a few different inventories that you can do. But even before I did that one, I, I forget who I said it to, but I said, I know what I'm going to come out on. I, I could sort of write down my top ones. Then I did the inventory, and sure enough, that's what it was. Because I know myself. Because I know how God has wired me. Because people have been affirming these gifts in me for many years. So it's not something out of pride. It's just sort of take this honest assessment of yourself. This is how God has wired me. And this is what we are called to do. And so for me, one of the tensions I live with is in this apostle-shepherd tension. You know, apostles are sort of this mission focus of the church and sort of heading to new territories and, and new directions and new ministries and so on. But then there's the shepherd function, which is all about more caring for the people. Now, sometimes we know apostles who kind of lead and charge ahead, and they don't really have any shepherding gifts, and they don't care for the people. And sometimes I wish I didn't care as much, because it would be easier. But God has wired me to care. That's part of my gifting. And so that's a tension that I continually uh, live with. And so we need each other to be the full expression of the gifts and the maturity that God calls us to. At the end of that, in in verse 15 and 16, it has that passage again that talks about the importance of speaking the truth and love and the maturity that is attained through that. And we need to do that of speaking truthfully to ourselves and to others and recognize that, that unity does not mean sameness. Unity is actually understanding the diverse gifts that we each bring to the table. And we need to not only be uh, really tenacious about uh, expressing and using and developing the gifts in us, but just as much so about those that are in other people. And it happens in, in any context within the church that God calls us to. But we need to speak the truth in love in terms of these gifts. James. Thanks, Bruce. So you have to understand that as a prophet, I cannot do what, what Bruce just did. So when he asks me to speak on something and I'm given a passage, I spend time in prayer and I, and I see God and I'm and on my knees and I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm trying to discern, God, what is the one thing that you are wanting to say to your people on that Sunday at such a time as this that is completely in tune and in sync with what you are doing in their lives? And I pray that through until I sense that I have this you know, I can put it into a sentence. And then I come at it from all kinds of different directions, I, I, with a story, with illustrations, with other scripture. And, I, and I, it's more like an artist, and I'm trying to paint a picture for you so that at the end of the sermon you have this, oh, okay, I see it. I can now see in a new way what God is saying through his word. And so this is what I do. And then the first time I spoke, I'm doing this, and then Bruce tells me, James, by the way, you need to prepare some study questions. I'm like, what? i got to prepare some... Like, I'm trying to bring heaven down to earth, and you're trying to tell me to put study questions together. It just about kills them. Oh. And so, I literally, I spent, I'm not kidding, two hours trying to get something together. What I ended up doing is I just took his, and I copied them, and I just put them, I just fit my scripture into his uh, questions. (laughs) And literally, Bruce can literally get them done in 8 to 10 minutes. So we need, we need each other. Trust me, I need Bruce to do and this. Sometimes I ask him, I say, so James, what are your application points? 
He goes, I have no idea, but this is how great God really is. He just wants to proclaim yeah. God's goodness. Yeah. It's awesome. So, um, it is an example of, it's almost like one plus one actually equals five when you have the gifts working together. And God is able to do something he's not able to do if, if these gifts aren't being used together. And so, I have the opportunity now to, to share kind of my overview of this passage. And, you know, as someone who can do uh, study questions in eight minutes, he's going to be timing me. So I'll try to land the plane. It's like I, I get caught in a holding pattern. You know how planes go round and round? And they, they you know, you think they're going to land, but they don't. Well, that's kind of what it's like. So he's going to help me to land my plane at the right time. So this is my understanding of this passage um, of Ephesians 4, uh, 7 to 16. I believe that these five functions, so you have the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher, I believe that these are, desc- are described the capacities and the functions that Jesus had in his own life and ministry. And I think if you look at Jesus' life, you'd see he's, he's the greatest apostle to ever live. So the word apostle literally means one who is sent. And if you read the Gospels, you will see that Jesus experienced himself as the Messiah, as the one who was sent from God to usher in the kingdom of God, to expand the kingdom, to make God known to the world. He was an apostle. And in fact, John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, I send you. He understood that he was the sent one. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom you acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. I believe Jesus is the greatest prophet to have ever lived. One of his favorite sayings was, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear what God is saying for you right now in this moment. I want you to understand that God is alive. And he's speaking to you right now. That was his heart, the heart of a prophet. Some of the very first words he spoke, and he's talking about his ministry. This is at the beginning of his ministry. And it's almost like a reflection of what his ministry would be like, one of the components of his ministry. And he says in Mark 1, verse 15, he says, the time has come. There's that sense of nowness. He says, the kingdom of God is near. In other words, it's right here amongst you right now. Can you not see it? then he says, repent and believe in the good news. That's what a prophet does. They're calling people back to a covenant relationship with God. Turn away from sin and turn to God. Jesus was a prophet. He also was the greatest evangelist to ever live. And when he was in the home of Zacchaeus, you remember the story. Zacchaeus came to faith. And salvation came to that house. And Jesus said, I have, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. And when the Pharisees were questioning him, like, Jesus, why do you always hang out with sinners? And why do you welcome them and eat with them? And then he told them three parables, three stories. Story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and of the prodigal son that comes home. And he's saying, that is why. Is there more, there's more rejoicing in heaven over that one sinner who is saved over the, and then the 99 that are already saved. 
the heart of an evangelist. Not only was he giving the good news, Jesus became the good news. And he went to the cross to save every man and woman. Jesus was the greatest evangelist to ever live. He's also the greatest shepherd. And I don't think that's hard for us to understand how he cared and loved people, cared for them. John 10, verse 11, Jesus actually says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The heart of Jesus. And then I believe Jesus was the greatest teacher to ever live. In fact, on one occasion as he was teaching, it says in Matthew 7 that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with such authority, not like the um, teachers of religious law. And they could see, here is an inspired teacher. In fact, Colossians 2 verse 3 talks about how Jesus, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus essence of what a teacher is. And so, what I believe is happening in this passage, what Paul is describing is the functions, the capacities that find Jesus, Jesus' ministry. And then at his, at his ascension, as he's leaving in bodily form, it's like he seeds these functions and these capacities into the church, into the body of Christ, so that we can carry on the ministry that he started. He's not giving us a new thing to do. He's asking us to continue what he started. And he fills us with the capacity. It's like he seeds that into us. Each one of these functions is like a a seed that brings creative power in us and amongst us. It duplicates the life and the presence of Jesus in his body. So someone has said that Jesus came into the world to reveal God to the world. The church is here to reveal Jesus to the world. The manifestation of Jesus in our world. Bruce is fidgeting. That means I'm supposed to land my plane. That's what he does. And you notice, he's got electronic. I have, I have, like he says, parchment. No, no, you graduated from parchment a few months ago. Oh, yeah, ago. this yeah. is actually true computer paper. Yeah. Uh, technology and I, we have a very inharmonious relationship. There's lots of tension there. So go ahead, Bruce. So James and I wanted to give you a few definitions that uh, would help you understand as we talk about these five uh, gifts that that you might understand them more precisely. Some of you are wired that way. It's a great book by Alan Hirsch called 5Q, Reactivating the Original Intelligence and Capacity of the Body of Christ. And so some of these uh, come from that, but they're also, I've added in from other uh, sources as well. So we just want to walk through just a couple of simple definitions of them. So the first one is apostle, the apostolic function. Uh, literally means sent one and is focused on the sending and mission focus of the church. And it's the divine ability to envision, launch, and effectively lead new ministries that advance God's kingdom, uh, purposes, and mission. And then we have the prophet or the prophetic function. And a prophet is all about holy discontent. They have a fierce loyalty and faithfulness to God above all else, passionately concerned with living an authentic moral life consistent with the covenant of God. The third one is the evangelist or the evangelistic uh, function, all about the core message. It's about the good news. This is the infectious storyteller who can captivate people by the story of God and share their faith with power, effectively communicating so that people respond in faith and move forward in discipleship. And then fourth one is the shepherd. So the shepherding function. And they're concerned with developing and, and maintaining healthy community in the body of Christ. 
They have the divine ability to nurture, care for, and strengthen a group of people toward an ongoing spiritual maturity, caring for the whole person in their walk with God. And the last one is teacher. Uh, teacher, a teaching function. About, this is about conveying wisdom and understanding in a relevant and an engaging way. It's the divine ability to understand, clearly explain, and apply the Word of God, causing greater Christ-likeness in the lives of the listeners. And so one way that you could summarize this, and James and I just try to summarize it, each of them with, with sort of one word. You might think of it uh, this way. The apostle is all about the mission. Okay? The prophet is all about God and declaring God's goodness. The evangelist is all about the message and the proclaiming of the message. The shepherd is all about the people and caring for the people. And then the teacher, that was the one that we struggled a bit with, but we landed on that the teacher is about the foundation, about the foundation of Scripture and this story of God and passing it on from generation to generation. So that might be a helpful summary for you. All right, uh, Bruce, just go ahead. Um, he's a teacher. He's got to make us four points. So here's, here's my four points. points. Some of you might wonder and ask, okay, so how do we discover our gifts? How is it that you kind of press into these things and understand them? And if you get the, uh, the sermon study notes, it's on there as well too. And if you get it through the e-bulletin, there's, there's a few places that you can click on links and go to a few of these things that I'll articulate here today. But I thought it'd be helpful for you to know, okay, so as you hear, okay, James and I are, rest, are kind of explaining some of the gifts that, that we feel that, that God has given us in the church. How do we discover these if you haven't done this before? Well, first of all, I would just say start serving. The first point is just get the wheels turning and in motion. Start serving somewhere in the body of Christ. And experiment. Try things on. Uh, just serve in different areas. You, you'll actually interact with people and connect with people who will help you understand more and more of how you're wired. You'll learn what you love and what you don't love. And, and so just start to serve. One of the things that I think we, we don't always allow enough for is for failure in the church when it comes to these serving functions. And, and one of those areas is, is in the area of prophetic gifting. And I've said this before where we're comfortable for people to actually fail when it comes to speaking like, or leading or something like that. We'll, we'll give them an opportunity and it's like, okay, but, but what about people with prophetic giftings? Do we give them places to experiment, to try, to fail, to kind of pick them up again and come alongside as the body of Christ? So just to start serving and start to living out of your gifting. Second one is just personal prayer, reading, and reflection. Spend time in the Word of God. Spend time praying. Ask God to reveal this to you. You know yourself. You know how God has wired you. Spend time in God's story because as you understand more and more of God's story, your story starts to make sense in the context of God's story. And so spend that time. In, in Psalm 139, it talks about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has knit each one of us together in our mother's womb in a very distinct and unique way. And so start pressing into an understanding just between you and God in Scripture and in prayer and in reflection about what is it that that wiring is all about. Thirdly, you could use some available tools. There's all kinds of inventories that are out there. They're helpful. I often say they, they more affirm what you already know. And just as I said, you know, when I did an inventory, I kind of knew what it was going to say in the end. And, and so these things can be helpful to affirm probably what you already know, but they're there's some helpful, lots of tools out there. And then fourthly, bring others into the discernment. I think that's why small groups are so important and they're so central to the life of our church, is that we want to have people in community, in smaller groups of community. That's why we serve together in teams, where you serve together with other people, not in isolation or alone. Because it's when you're with other people that you start to discover who you are. You don't discover who you are alone. You discover who you are in the context of other people. 
And as you rub up against each other and you use your gifts and you allow them to use their gifts and then things start to come alive. We need to be truthful with each other about the things that we see. And even in this text where it says to speak the truth and love to one another, that happens in community as we discern our gifts together and as we graciously reflect and sometimes hold up the mirror to each other and say, here's what I see. Or we might ask others to say, hey, can you help me see some of my blind spots that I'm not able to see? And we do that in community and we start to discover some of these gifts in a really powerful way. And so those four things I think will be so helpful for you to understand more and more of how God has wired you to help build up the body of Christ to maturity. I asked James to just conclude us with a little bit more of his story and uh, to pray with us at the end as he shares uh, this last part. Thanks, Bruce. So yeah, we, um, yeah, try to, we, we spent some time discerning, is this, is this something that, that we wanted to share this morning? And we just feel that this is something that can be an encouragement to you. This is not something that I have ever shared publicly before. And so um, just wanted to, wanted to share personal, a personal story or give witness and testimony to how seriously God takes the activating of all the gifts within the body of Christ and how important this really is, that your, your unique gifting is activated and is used. So for 15 years, I served in three different churches. In each church, I served within the function of a pastor and shepherd. So if you were to look at the job description of every one of those positions, that is in essence what uh, defined, those, those functions defined my roles and my responsibilities in those positions that I had. And inevitably, I would start my ministry, and I would be full of uh, energy and full of excitement and enthusiasm, and, and you could even say ministry was life-giving to me. But over time, what seemed to happen is I would, I would be hemorrhaging inside. And it would only take a few years, and I would start to lose my mental and spiritual and emotional health and vitality. And this would happen, and I would not understand what was going on. It's like, I'm called to this ministry, but somehow the very thing that I'm called to is that it's like doing, it's doing violence to my soul. It's doing violence to the core of who I am, and I didn't understand this. And so often what I would feel is exhaustion. I'm just tired. And, and discouragement. Sometimes you'd feel despair. And what was meant to be life-giving ended up just, it was like pure devotion to the body of Christ. I've been called to do this, and so I'm going to persevere. But somehow I knew in my heart that something wasn't right. This isn't how it's meant to be. And God in His graciousness, He uses events and, and people and circumstances and ministry experiences, the affirmation of others, just like Bruce's was just shared in the points that he made, to help me to begin to see that I actually had a unique gifting and call that was actually being stifled and actually pushed to the side in the present role that I was in, in the roles that I had as a shepherd and teacher. And I didn't understand this before. But God was helping me to see and I remember one day I was crying out to God. I'm like, God, you gave Abraham a new name according to how you have made him and the purpose you had for his life. You gave Paul a new name. What is my name? What do you call me? 
And it wasn't an audible voice, but I knew it was him. And he just impressed on my heart, I call you prophet. And I've gifted you. Prophet. And so, just this past June, um, God brought me to the place where I could finally see that And he was saying to me, like, James, when you continue in this role as a shepherd and as a teacher, you actually are dishonoring the identity and calling I have given you in Christ Jesus. And so what he was saying to me is, James, I want you to resign. So, And I was still, I was the lead pastor at Faith River here in Saskatoon. And I was on long-term disability because, again, I had come to the place where I just couldn't continue. And my mental health deteriorated, and I had to step away, and I was on long-term disability, and I didn't know, God, what do you have for the future? And I was struggling with depression. And God was saying, I want you to let go, James, of this role and of this position. I want you to trust me. And it's hard, because when you don't, you have, I, have a, I have a family of four. And so, I st- you know, you're thinking about the future, but, oh, yeah, but I still have this position. Like, if things get really bad, I can still go back. Because it's still there. And he's saying, no, James, let it go. I have something else for you. But you have to trust me. And so this last June, um, I resigned as lead pastor there. And it began a season of about three or four months of intense prayer and seeking God. God, what do you have? So I had family saying, James, maybe you should be a drywaller. Like maybe you can, you know, you know, you're strong and you get lots of energy. And I was like, oh, you know what, my heart's just not in it. Maybe I could be a fireman. I tried to be a police officer. Maybe I could be a personal trainer because I love to I love fitness. But nothing fit. I'm like, God, what do you have for me? And then a friend I had not heard from for about 15 years. He just sent me an email out of the blue, just reconnecting. And he asked me, you know, James, could we meet uh, this summer? So that was last summer. When you come to BC, can we meet? And so I met with him, and we went for a walk. We had a good time together. And when I got home, he sends me a text. And he says, James, I didn't tell you this when we went for a walk. But months ago, before I knew anything that was going on in your life, God told me that I needed to support your family. And so in those 15 years, God has really blessed him. He's running two different businesses that are going very well. And he owns the businesses. He's made, he's made a lot of money. And he says, James, once your disability is done, I will give you a full salary and full benefits. I will pay all your traveling expenses. He bought me a brand new car. He says, I just want to set you free. I just want to release you. My only expectation is that you do the will of God. And I, I, literally, I could not accept it at first. I said, you know what, let me, I'm going to have to pray about it for two weeks because this is, this is crazy. Like, do we not need some written contract? Or, you know, do we not need to have something written down in writing, expectations? And, and do, you know what, you know, do I need to report to you? And so I called him back after two weeks. And I asked him, please pray. Like, you've got to be sure this is God's will. And so in two weeks, I called him back. And he's like, James, 
And with all due respect, I, I don't need to pray. God already told me what to do. I just need to obey. And I had to confess to God, God, I, I have a hard time believing you're actually that good. That you would actually do this for me. That is an example of how seriously God takes the releasing and the activating of each member in the body of Christ. I am no different than you are. I have no position. I have no office. These are not positions in the church. These are not so-called offices that you carry. These are capacities, functions that he seeds into you as desire, as a way of seeing and knowing and understanding. Energies that are in you that others don't have. And your platform is the body of Christ. That's your platform. You are a part of the body of Christ. You have a call. You have a mission. He has saved you so you can serve. That's what I want you to take from that, from my story. God has a plan for your life. He's gifted you. And he will release you. He'll give you purpose and significance and meaning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, that not only do you love us, you love us extravagantly. You are so good. And Jesus, it is amazing how you have, in your grace, in your generosity, you've given each one of us a very special gift, a special capacity, a special way in which we can function that will build up and strengthen and encourage the body of Christ, believers around us. What an honor, what a joy, what a privilege. And I pray that you would continue to give us wisdom and discernment by your Holy Spirit. Give us power by your Spirit to live within this gifting and to live within it in your love, God, for your glory. And I just pray that for each one here. I know sometimes life can be so hard and we can feel like we just have nothing to give. And yet, Lord Jesus, every one of us here this morning has been called and has been gifted And you have a very uh, unique and significant purpose for each one. And we praise you for that. We just pray all of this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.